How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, and today I'm joined by Frank Madden. And Frank, everything's right in the world, right? Bucks win, and there there are no problems. Uh, literally nothing to be worried about. Uh, I don't think they even played on Friday. I'm I believe this is their first game after the All Star break, and they won it, right? <laughs> no concerns. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say, well, things went sort of, you know, according to what you would expect from a raw wins and losses standpoint on Friday and <laughs> Sunday. But, um, yeah, it, it's obviously, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we, you know, learned anything particularly new about this team. Um, I, I don't think we saw signs that the Bucks are, you know, going to come out of the All-Star break and be a refreshed, renewed team in terms of, uh, you know, now surging past the, the Bulls and Pistons for one of those final playoff spots. Um, but again, two home games, lose to a very good Jazz team, not surprising, I guess, beat a very bad Suns team uh, just barely, uh, <laughs> which, um, again, the result, not surprising, and, and definitely a sucks-to-lose game. Uh, we oh, won't yeah, say that's an S2L. It, it was an we, S2L today. We, we can't say must win at this stage, maybe, but uh, but definitely a sucks to lose game. And um, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo doing his best to make sure the Bucks had chances to win both these games. Um, when he but, was in the uh, game, when he was in the game, uh, Michael Beasley uh, putting up some big big numbers um, in in lieu of Jabari Parker here, uh, despite switching from starting to coming off the bench today for Chris Middleton. Um, who honestly, Chris Middleton, not a great weekend for him. He'll sit out Monday's game against the Cavs uh, due to the back-to-back. Um, but again, you know, on some level, just getting him through games and building up his minutes is, uh, I guess, in some way, its own small victory. So, uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks still don't look like a team that is ready to uh, seize a playoff spot. Um, but again, they maybe this weekend didn't do anything to. Uh, knock themselves further out of the competition either so um i don't know the bucks are are still the bucks i guess on some level yeah i i guess with middleton i i think the interesting thing is the all-star break could not have come at a worse time for him like it, obviously you wanted to see him get back on the floor and as i've said as, as i said while he was getting healthy you don't want to hold a guy out that's ready to play. Like, if he's ready to get minutes and start his recovery process, okay, you play him. But, man, that it's just brutal that he tries to get his games le- game legs back and then has to take a six-day all-star break and then try to do it again. And and you're totally right. He's just looked brutal uh, these last two games uh, on Friday against Utah and here on Sunday against the Suns. And he hasn't been really hitting shots. He's been turning it over. He had four turnovers against the Suns. And 
one particularly brutal one um, in the in those final five minutes where they tried to go without Giannis and Middleton was obviously the person they tried to lean on there and as as well as Beasley and it just didn't end up working for him and yeah I, but like you said I, I it's tough to be too mad at Chris Middleton like it's too it's tough to say man that was such a bad turnover or uh, man it would have been great if you would have hit that shot because it's just an accomplishment that he's playing right now. And I know that's a, a bit of a defeatist attitude, but it, it is the truth that the man literally had his hamstring ripped from the bone. Um, so to see him play is a good thing, but yeah, it's a, it's a struggle for Middleton right now. Um, but I, I guess one thing I want to get into is it's, it's a debate that I think has been around this entire season um maybe not the first month of the season maybe the first month of the season Delhi was playing well enough that it wasn't a conversation but even then I think it probably was Malcolm Brogdon not starting um and for the I guess tonight it was or I guess this afternoon against the Suns it was an even split 24-24 for them and I don't know it's just been a roller coaster with both those guys uh, against Against the Jazz, I think Brogdon plays 15 minutes, uh, and before that, he was playing closer to 28 to 30. And sometimes middle, or sometimes Brogdon and Delhi were sharing the floor together. At what point is Delhi just not the starter anymore? Like I know we went through that stretch where he wasn't the starter because he was hurt, but at some point, when Delhi looks as bad as he looks right now, and he looks awful. When is it that Brogdon becomes a starter? Yeah, I, I mean, the the bad part for Del Vidova, we talk about guys who, you know, had bad timing with the All-Star break. I think Delhi was actually playing some better basketball heading into the All-Star break. Yeah. Um, and he got his fresh haircut in Brooklyn. And then, uh, you know, a week off and, and he's been really bad. I think he was uh, one of 12 uh, in these first two games back from the All-Star break. Had six assists. Uh, three turnovers uh, against the Jazz on Friday. Uh, today, three assists, you know, one turnover. But again, I mean, you know, 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3. Um, you know, the the only obvious thing he did well was he set some nice back screens for Giannis to get open uh, from middle for Middleton passes on the, that little sort of uh, How could they not know, stop that play, Frank? That was the simple <laughs> – like I, I think of anything in that game, just how bad the Suns are just totally shown through and again that means if you beat the suns by four you're a bad team as well but good god that suns team is awful yeah i mean look i'm 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 gonna look at the positive and say hey you know what the bucks use some nice off ball action to to get Giannis open for some dunks um lord knows he he often has to work really hard for his bucket so um, glad that they were able to do something there. Middleton, a couple nice passes, and and to be honest, that's like one thing. You know, they they tried to get Delavadova touches at the elbow, trying to do some different things, having Chris and and Giannis kind of run off him. But you know, one of the problems is that Delhi under pressure, like he can't, he doesn't make good passes when when mm-hmm. there's pressure on the ball. You know, um, Chris with his length and size, uh, you know, he was able to basically see over the defense when he was in basically similar spots and and th- make some nice passes there. Um, but again, for Delvedova, it's just life has just has just looked so hard for him, especially these past couple of games. And um, you know, again, when the ball's in his hands, you just feel like you're just wasting time, basically trying to get the ball to somebody who who can actually make a play. Uh, and you know, at this point, again, we've talked a lot about 
you know, the the value of having Brogdon off the bench just to work with Monroe, and I think especially um, with Middleton now easing into the starting lineup, um, you know, that playmaking off the bench, that combination, I think there's value in that. Um, but again, I think the last couple of games, Del Vadova's played about 2x the minutes in the first half as Brogdon. And then, you know, today Brogdon plays the majority of the second half and still only ends up at 24-24 in terms of minutes with Del Vadova. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think it's – I'm less concerned with who starts, but ultimately Brogdon should be playing more than Del Vadova right now. And it, you know, shouldn't require Del Vadova – looking you know light years worse than than brogdon for brogdon to get to the same number of minutes if that makes sense um and obviously it's harder to get guys a lot of minutes if they're coming off the bench but it it just feels you know frustrating again because it just feels like you're you're hamstringing the team uh leaving delvedova out there um you know and again uh, you know nominally you know they were minus two with delhi on the court so i mean they weren't a complete disaster um but it just feels like you're not giving your team the best chance when you're playing Del Padova as many minutes or, you know, in a lot of cases, more minutes than than Brogdon, who, you know, again, I mean, I think I think people probably went a bit overboard, you know, after the triple double in mid-December. Um, you know, he's not going to be able to, I think, at this stage, probably be he's not going to be that guy every night. But he obviously has the ability to put it on the floor. Um, I'd say his passing vision has been better than Del Vadova's. I mean, how many cool passes has Brogdon made versus how many cool passes has Delhi made? Um, I don't think it's, you know, using the Eric name cool pass index, mm-hmm. um, we need to, what do we call that cool pass? The CPI, can we call it that? The I'm, Eric oh, I'm okay with that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Brogdon's ahead in that department. And, um, you know, again, you just look at the shooting and the ability to put it on the floor and, and attack a, a closeout. I mean, that's kind of the hard part. We were, we were talking about that on Twitter today. You know, both Brogdon and Delhi, unfortunately, this is a problem when your guards are not guys who want to get up quick shots from three. Um, Delhi's got that kind of like long, long load up slingshot type shot, which mm-hmm. means he doesn't take many threes. We've talked about that. His three point attempts are not, you know, again, he kudos have to a him for throwing some up though today. There was a, yeah, a couple yeah. that I for a while he hadn't been taking and yeah. I think he ends up with four threes but there was two of them for sure where he's normally pump faking and then just getting swallowed up by defenders and he actually took them today so kudos to him for taking them obviously he didn't make them though so it, yeah, and, a couple, and a, at least two of them were from the corners as well which yep. I think especially for Delhi because he seems like he he's a guy who struggles going any further than you know 23 feet 9 inches yep. um, which is another problem um, but Brogdon, you know, again, uh, the fact that, again, I would like it if Brogdon had a bit more confidence loading up from three. He had he had a shot that he made where he caught it off a of Giannis pass, pump fake, took one dribble in and hits like a 22-footer. And it's like, okay, well, just glad you hit a shot. One, man. Just shoot the damn three, Malcolm. Um, so hopefully that will kind of come with time. Obviously, you, you love the high percentage he's shooting. But, again, he's another guy who just doesn't get a lot of, a lot of volume off and um, I mean that does affect how teams play you. I mean teams don't have to, you know, really play up on on guys like like Delvadova and Brogdon the way they do on other teams' guards, and um, so so that matters. But at least with Brogdon, as we saw, uh, he's able to put it on the deck, and um, you know, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to know exactly what, what they were planning for on the last possession when the Bucks were up one uh, late in the clock. But Giannis basically drives from the right wing, kicks it to Brogdon, who's sort of kind of straight away a little bit up the shade to the left wing he also pump fakes puts it on the deck quick pass to tony snell for an open look out of a corner three and a huge shot from tony snell who 
had 13 points tonight, hit three triples after going scoreless on Friday, and that that really sealed the game. And you know, for a team that has often not executed late in games, um, that was a very welcome sign to see them work the ball uh, for a good shot, and and they did run some clock as well. So um, you know, very uneven performance from the Bucks. Giannis was great, 11 out of 13 from the field. Um, you know, first half I think nine points, three rebounds, one assist. Second half, 19 points, five boards, five assists. Um, you know, again, a couple blocks, maybe had a couple more turnovers than you'd like, but, um, again, Giannis, you know, being Giannis and, um, you know, he got enough help tonight from, from Beasley Monroe Brogdon to, uh, to get a win. I'm not really sure where to go from that. Um, let me start with Giannis on that last play. I asked kid to kind of break it down and he said that was essentially what they were looking for. He said on the previous play where they got Middleton a three that Bledsoe had cheated. And again, I don't get replays. I don't get a television broadcast. I don't get anything other than seeing it on the floor. Um, but that was a, a play where they found Middleton wide open, and, or I shouldn't say wide open, but open in the right-hand corner. Open enough. Um, and he had said it, it all kind of started because Bledsoe had cheated off or maybe got sucked in a little bit. So uh, they, they were kind of thinking that same thing might happen. Um, and I believe Bledsoe on that play was in the left corner with uh, covering Snell. And the hope was kind of that both those guys would kind of cheat in a little bit, so they go ISO. Uh, Brogdon makes uh, makes a little drive and then makes the extra pass to Snell in the corner, um, and ultimately, I, I guess they were able to take advantage of Bledsoe there. But that he did say post game that that was the read um, that they were looking for. Um, so, so that was interesting that that was something that they thought they could take advantage of and leverage, and uh, they were able to do so. I, I think at some point, I'm probably going to get tired of Giannis making the right play, um, but that is. <laughs> It's it's not quite yet. Um, when he made the pass, I gotta say I was a little bit sick to my stomach. Like if you would have been able to to freeze that moment in time where he first makes that pass to Brogdon, my heart sank because so often this season I've complained about Giannis making a pass late in the clock when, dude, you're the best player on the team by a wide margin. That, that is your ball. That is your shot. You are the one that needs to make this happen. And to his credit, he made the right play. He totally read the defense, and he was able to bend the defense. And that, and I, I think that's kind of the LeBron showing through him, and that was always a, a big criticism of LeBron early in his career was he's afraid of the last shot, whatever it is. But every time LeBron was making the right play, and again, Giannis made the right play, but – I would be lying if I said that moment when he passed it to Brogdon, I didn't feel a little bit disappointed because I thought, man, this could end very poorly because there wasn't there wasn't a screen, there wasn't much of a head start for Brogdon, maybe a step, um, and and he was able to take advantage of it and get Snell a three. But I would be lying if I said I was not totally terrified um, in that moment because that has ended poorly for the Bucks many times this season. Giannis passing the ball late in the clock. So uh, it worked out. And again, in clutch time, that has seemed to work out. Like there's been times where they get, uh, I think back to that Spurs game at the start of the year where they got Sladovich to the wide open corner three and it just didn't fall. Um, and again, it was Giannis bending the defense and making the right play. Um, so that's a good thing. Okay. Um, the Brogdon Delhi stuff, I, I guess one thing that I guess we've gotten to a, a spot where everything is so polarized with Delhi that like I didn't I didn't think Brogdon was 
particularly good against the Jazz. Like, no, he, no, it, he, it was he, just, wasn't. he wasn't deli bad. <laughs> no, and I agree. Like that, that's the thing. And I, I guess part of me wonders if uh, I've been kind of worried and curious about when Brogdon hits the rookie wall. Um, and and I don't know that he has. Part of me wishes he really would have got the weekend off um, for the All Star All Star game or Rising Stars game or whatever, and he wouldn't have been on his feet doing all the media and uh, playing. And again, you can say the game isn't taxing, sure, but he could be on a beach somewhere not doing anything, um, and that would be better for his legs and his rookie season. Um, so. I, I definitely think I was kind of concerned about that and worried about that. And obviously in the third quarter, he was just fantastic today. Um, but I, I guess part of part of me wonders is, one, I, I think obviously Kid likes Delhi quite a bit. I, I don't think that's really all that surprising or shocking to anyone um, that has watched the Bucks this season, that he does probably like Delhi a little bit more than the average person. Um, but on top of that, I do wonder if – I know when I watch Brogdon play sometimes it's it's not necessarily that he's playing great or playing good. He's just playing less bad than Delhi. And um, I, I don't know when that that can kind of happen. And um, I don't know. It's it, it just interesting because I think in the last, I don't know, last couple of weeks there's been some, some stinkers from Brogdon. And, uh, again, it's still better than Delhi because Delhi's just been brutal. Um, but I do wonder if that's part of the hesitation and if, if you're thinking about the rookie wall as well and maybe not wanting to go to, I don't know, 28 minutes for Brogdon and just 20 for Delhi if you're worried about kind of running him into the ground. But, man, maybe even Brogdon ran into the ground is better than the way Delhi's performing right now. So um, I don't know. It's just something that kind of bounces around in my head with rookies all the time. Like when are they going to hit the r- rookie wall and how, how much is it going to affect them? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the thing that was interesting was, and we were we were going back and forth um, offline, uh, pondering if this kid was going to go back to Delhi late in the game, and I thought you might see him go back to Delhi and Brogdon together, yeah. um, which he's done at times uh, when Brogdon's playing well. Um, I was, you know, refreshed to see him not go back to Delhi uh, late in the game and to stick with Brogdon. Um, so that was a positive. Um, obviously, the negative that a lot of people were really frustrated by um, during that late fourth quarter surge when the Suns come back and get to within one bat, one point, and then you know had a chance to go up by a mm-hmm. point um, when Marquis Chris uh, got fouled with 30 seconds left, going up for uh, for a dunk and then misses two free throws to give the Bucks it's a clutch foul by Tony Snell. Clutch foul by Tony Snell. Um, the Bucks had a chance. The Bucks nearly went down one. Instead, they go up one with 29 seconds left and work it for that Snell three that clinches it. Um, but the obvious elephant in the room was that Giannis comes back into the game with the Bucks up one, 97-96 with 45 seconds left. Um, he had gone out of the game at the 5:30 mark after playing uh, the entire third and up until that point in the entire fourth quarter. So, you know, he played 19 straight minutes. Um, he finished at, I think, 35 minutes total. Um, but obviously, you know, and, and we've seen this before. I mean, normally Kid likes to steal Giannis minutes at the beginning of the fourth quarter and see kind of how far he can stretch it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this game, he stuck with Giannis uh, because, you know, probably because of the momentum that they were getting at the end of the third quarter. And then, you know, coming into the fourth quarter still losing he wanted to try to make up 
um, make up that deficit. Or sorry, I think they were up four um, going into the fourth quarter. So looking to get that separation. And you know, again with with uh, whatever it was, uh, 5:30 left in the game. Uh, Bucks are up seven when he tries to get. Uh, that blow for Giannis and my assumption was oh this is going to be like a one or two minute thing and then you bring and he Giannis. did it at a timeout so he had already yeah. he had already got that timeout so that's already an extra minute 90 seconds whatever it may be so I agree that's totally what I thought and I think there was another timeout um let's see I think there was another timeout around the two minute mark yeah 224 the Suns took another timeout with the Bucks up 97 88 and at that point kid is probably feeling pretty good he's like oh okay well you know we, we actually expanded our lead um by a couple points uh, Beasley had can, kind of got his game back going there again um with I think three two or three pretty clutch buckets there to try to you know give the Bucks that lead and then things just go go haywire very quickly um Warren Chris three times in a row um get buckets to get the Suns within one point um Middleton had a lost ball turnover Beasley missed a layup um I think Beasley might have missed um a uh, a mid-range jumper at yep. some point in there too but basically just the Bucks sort of execution everything kind of went to hell Brogdon had a turnover that Chris stole um just some easy some some bad mental mistakes and and obviously the Bucks not kind of uh, running the sort of offense you'd want to see late just in clutch game. time bucks you know how it is yeah and so basically they go from a nine point lead to a one point lead in the matter of let's see um basically like 90 seconds or so um so it obviously it happened pretty quickly but obviously you know everybody's wondering well you know this is a game that you cannot afford to lose uh granted you have cleveland tomorrow and um you know i know you asked kid about uh, why he, he he held Giannis out for that long. Um, but, you know, clearly this is one of those things that becomes really easy to second guess because everything's fine if you can, you know, again, get away with it with your best player on the bench. Um, but, you know, the worst case scenario happens almost uh, in that the Suns mm-hmm. come up with this uh, big run. And, you know, again, Giannis, critical to your defense, critical to your offense. He's not on the court, and you know you nearly lose a game because of it. And I know you asked about asked about asked kid about this at the post game, and um, I, I'm, I know a lot of fans were wondering what his response would be, and um, what was your take on it? And what do you say? Well, and I guess his his full answer was, and the literally he had brought it up uh, during his first answer to to Telly Hughes on something, but I wanted to just get the clarification, so I literally asked what was the thought process on taking Giannis out with 5.30 left, and his full answer is... Yeah, to sit him for the whole five minutes uh, was, you know, um, understanding you guys, you know, at the time you guys don't have the information, but Chris isn't traveling, isn't going tomorrow, so uh, we're going to try We're gonna try to rest Giannis. We had the lead and we felt the game was under control. We wanted to finish with that group. Chris's minutes were going to go up to 30, so we thought we'd get him some minutes on the floor. Um, it didn't end that way. Um, that group uh, took some quick shots, and then we didn't get back in transition. And uh, they took advantage of that, um, unfortunately. And so the good thing is we rebounded. You know, we made plays when we had to. We got Giannis back in the game. And I think it just shows his maturity, but also the trust of his teammates to be able to make that play at the end. So that's his full answer on it. Um, obviously, I, I think a lot of people would be would be curious, well, maybe don't put yourself <laughs> into that position where Giannis would have to play the final 24 minutes of or whatever it may be um so uh, i i guess 
and I mean, there's a million other strategical decisions there. Well, once you're up nine and you give up quick bucket, do you take a timeout there? Like everything Frank had brought had kind of brought up there. Like there's obvious, it's an obvious tactical mistake. And um, I, again, I was kind of surprised that he was as forthright as he was with kind of taking me through his his decision making process because that's not necessarily how kid always handles questions but it, obviously it was a clear mistake and um, maybe it goes better if Chris has his legs underneath him a little bit and Chris isn't playing quite as bad and obviously you also mentioned a turnover for Brogdon turnover for Middleton and Beasley's missed shot is I believe a dead-on shot misses off the I can't remember if it's the front or back but then it's a long rebound easy tip out and a dunk so um, there there was a lot of stuff that obviously didn't go their way but you, the Bucks opened themselves up to that uh, by playing Giannis that way, by playing him for the first 18 and a half minutes of the second half. So um, they put themselves in a bad spot, and they almost paid for it. Obviously, they get, ended up lucking out, and uh, having Marquise Chris miss two free throws on what would have been, I don't even know, 8-0, 10-0 run at that point um, to take a lead at 98-97. Instead, they don't, and the Bucks get a three and get out. But, yeah, it was – it was not a pretty end of the game, and obviously not very well, uh, not very well coached. It just wasn't a, a great sequence of events for kid there uh, late in the game. I, I guess, kind of just thinking about it, looking at it, um, it, it's it was ugly. It was bad. It, it was awful. Like there, there's, I don't think there's really any other way around that. Yeah, it's not the way you want to win games, especially when, you know, again, you're, you're trying to kind of build up some momentum here. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I know you didn't have a chance to see this because you were at the game, but on, on Friday uh, on the on the Fox Sports Wisconsin broadcast, they were looking at the sort of the schedule ahead for the rest of the season. Again, you have 27 games left, and I think Jim Paschke was trying to talk John McLaughlin down from some of the optimism he was having about how well the Bucks <laughs> might finish the season. John was talking about going 17 and 10 and what it would take to go 17 and 10. And, um, you know, Jim at one point was like, well, what about 15? And, you know, I mean, you look at this team. I mean, this is a team that, what, is 15 and 14 at home right now or 15 and 15 uh, at home right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, the idea of them winning 17 and 10, I think, uh, they had, I think, 13 home games as of that. Uh, now they've got 11 home games left. So again, you've got 14 road games and 11 home games left, and you need to make up ground. And the idea that this team, the way it's been playing, that you know, expecting them to win 17 out of 27 games at any point in the season, when even when they were playing well, they weren't doing that. Yeah. I mean, it just really underscores kind of what they're up against in terms of, um, you know, again, if if you look at it from trying to get to, you know, pick you want to say 500 or something like that that's a tall ask for this team um you know based on where they're right now they'd have to go 15 and 10 to get to just a 500 i don't see i just don't see anything in this <laughs> team that suggests they're going to go 15 and 10 no um no I, I mean you know at this point you know you look at it um i don't know i mean we i think we were at like 34 ish wins or something like that um you know that feels a lot more realistic than 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 41 wins um but i guess we'll see i think i think let me go back to a positive thing and uh, you know again there's Giannis is a pot was a huge positive these last couple games i think really happy to see him not showing any hangover from all-star weekend he seemed to come back and um 
played very well against a Utah team that obviously is great defensively, scoring 33 on Friday. You know, can't say enough about sort of his aggressiveness and ability to kind of keep the Bucks vaguely in that game. And um, 11 out of 13 from the field today, he was tremendous. But I was um, going to say thing- uh, the the running joke between myself and Alex Boulder for these last two games is been is Giannis going to score 40? Because I don't see how they win these games unless Giannis scores 40. So that will it will normally consist of me maybe three or four minutes into the into the second half saying 40. Huh? And and Alex going, well, I don't know. He's only got like 22 at the moment or 24 at the moment. I'm like, yeah, but the only way they're winning this is if he just takes over the game. And he's like, yeah, you're probably right. And he hasn't gotten 40 in either of them. But, man, uh, the, today against the Suns, he, he took over that stretch. And any time the, the Bucks were even coming relatively close to the Jazz, uh, I mean, it was, it was a Giannis takeover. Yeah, and uh, the most impressive thing about that is that Giannis only had nine in the first half in both of these last two games, so he's really been having to up his game in the second half to to put up these big numbers. Yeah. Um, w- one thing that's that's interesting, and actually, I, I want to get back to Michael Beasley as well because he's been really good these last couple of games. But one thing that um, I, I don't know what to make of it quite yet, but an interesting thing we've seen is since that a Laker game where they gave up fifteen out of thirty from three, the Bucks have allowed. 23 or fewer three-point attempts in four out of five games and i think it had been not since like 20 games earlier or something like that that they had allowed that few uh, a number that that low i think it was yeah it was against the knicks on january 6 in game 35 that was the last time they allowed fewer than 24 threes in a game and they allowed 13 out of 23 in that game so not exactly great but um but again i mean it's not that they're necessarily um, holding teams to really low percentages. I mean, the Pacers were 10 out of 22. Um, the Nets were 14 out of 36. So that was the outlier game in terms of the number of threes, although the Nets shoot a ton of threes. Um, but the fact that they have defended the three-point line pretty well, um, you know, again, Detroit, 7 out of 21. Utah, 8 out of 23. Uh, today, 5 out of 14, by far the fewest threes allowed in a game all season by the Bucks. Um, we obviously focus a lot on the three-pointers allowed number because that's, historically what teams can can try to control at least you can't necessarily control you know the percentage teams shoot uh as well Mm -hmm. that tends to be pretty random and variable and you know to be honest maybe that number is is the bucks have started to be a little bit unlucky in that regard although you could argue that the fact that they give up lots of corner threes sort of skews them into a bad place anyway in terms of three-point percentage allowed but um but it is interesting i think it'll be interesting to watch if that becomes something that you know, again, is is more sustainable? Are they doing something um, that is leading to fewer three pointers allowed? Um, we saw against the Jazz that their three point defense was, or sorry, their pick and roll defense was terrible. Which, you know, again, I, I'd I'd have to really look in closely at the tape to try to be able to discern if you know it was because guys like the third guy was not helping out, you know, getting a touch um, on the roller or. Uh, or why that was, because obviously there are some trade-offs you can make in terms of defending the pick and roll versus you know not helping off of um, you know corner threes and, and opposing three-point shooters. But um, you know again, Bucks have allowed a lot of points lately, but they've had like two good ga- two good defensive games against the, the uh, Pistons and today against the Suns. Um, under 108 points per 100 allowed. They didn't do that once in the 24 previous games um, before the Indiana game. So. I don't know, maybe some signs of life defensively, maybe some slight tweaks in what they're doing. Maybe they're, you know, again, trying to make a more conscious decision to cut down on three-pointers. A 
loud, but I don't know. I guess I'm I'm curious to see sort of how this evolves because obviously it's you know if if it if something's happened, I'm I'm probably not able to see it that easily. Um, we talked about maybe fewer doubling in the post, uh, but I think this is certainly something to watch because you know again the Bucks defense um, has been pretty terrible <laughs> yeah. since certainly certainly the new year, and uh, obviously that's one reason why we are not so bullish on on what they're going to be able to do the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I would be curious. I should go back and really dig into the film, but uh, I guess your kind of idea or hypothesis of, okay, maybe they're not tagging rollers as hard. And when I say tagging roller, I mean coming over to actually touch the roll man coming down the floor. And the Bucks are typically normally hyper aggressive in that regard that normally that help is there very easily. And if you remember last year, that was always the frustration when, the guy would come over from the backside to tag and then it would be a skip pass over to the corner for a wide open three. Um, and, and I do wonder, I, I, like I said, I need to go back and watch more. Maybe that is, maybe that is a change that was made. And obviously that would explain 52 points in the paint for the Utah jazz and Rudy Gobert, obviously having a big game again. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It, that's that's the number you want you want to try to really focus on is three point attempts and like you said that's been good for a couple games there and uh, I would certainly love to see that trend continue <laughs> if there's one trend other than I mean the Bucks shooting a bunch of threes obviously that's something I like but uh, seeing the Bucks try to actually actively limit other teams three point attempts that would that would be a, a good thing so uh, we'll see if that continues. Um, Anything else from this Bucks game, this Bucks weekend? Um, I guess we haven't really talked a ton about the Jazz game, but I will say this: the Jazz are really freaking good, um, and their defense is fantastic. Rudy Gobert is a handful, and and I mean, man, there was not a buck that could do anything at the rim. And um, I, I know it, it was a, it was a quote that I tweeted out and everyone in Utah loved it. Um, and it made its rounds there. But after the game, I asked Michael Beasley, cause th- there was a sequence in that game where Middleton drove into the middle of the floor, tried to throw a lob over the top. I believe it was to Monroe. Maybe it was to maker and Gobert tipped it. And then it got tipped around a little bit, somehow got back to Michael Beasley. Then Michael Beasley tried to throw a pocket pass past Gobert, and Gobert tipped that. And eventually, I think, maybe blocked a shot or the ball went out of bounds or something of that nature. And I, I just asked him, I was like, "Is what are you trying to do in that situation? You, you try to go high on him, he gets his hands on it. You try to go low on him, he gets his hands on it. And, and then Beasley went on to say, man, the – these dudes are legitimately nine feet tall. Like, uh, I don't know. He's he's got arms, man. Like, he's he's got arms, and uh, you can just kind of see how how good that Utah Jazz defense is because everyone executes their assignments. But they have this monster of a man in the middle of the floor that really understands defense and really understands how to kind of take advantage of and kind of leverage all of his skills. And man. Gobert's a handful. Um, any any jazz thoughts, or maybe there's some other Suns thoughts that you didn't get in. Um, sorry if I missed them. Well, I think Beasley is a guy that I think we, we should talk about playing really well these last couple of games, and um, I think against the Suns, he just really explained, <laughs> he really worked Jared Dudley um, and and the bench unit, especially early. He started I think five out of five uh, in that first half, gave the Bucks a, a nice shot a shot in the arm. He ended up being um, eight for eight. 
until the literally the only two shots he missed were in that final five minute stretch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so he's been been really helpful, um, and I think we saw today. I mean, you know, doesn't matter if you start him, doesn't matter if you bring him off the bench. Um, you know, Beasley gets you buckets. That's what he does. And again, I mean, he's not going to you know shoot eighty percent every night, or you know, if he did, then he would probably not be on the Bucks roster making <laughs> 1.4 million or whatever he is. But, um, but again, I think especially with Jabari out, um, what he can do is obviously really helpful. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about sort of Mirza versus Beasley. I think with certainly Jabari out for the season, you know, it's sort of less of a choice you have to make because you, you kind of need both guys. I think, yeah. um, didn't play at all on, uh, against the jazz. Um, I think our, our refrain is always the same. I mean, the numbers show that, Giannis and Mears are terrific together. The Bucks are awesome when those guys are on the court together, and it makes sense given, again, Ooh. the three-point threat. But I, I want to go back to a point you made earlier. Um, in, in this same vein, you can the numbers say that, yes. And a lot of times when I bring up Mirza, people always say, well, well, you're just a numbers guy. Like, look at it on the floor. Like, look at what Beasley can do. And, and my retort to that is I – I can look at the floor, and I can see that teams blanket Mirza Teletovic. Like, they are on top of him at all times, and they're on top of him at all times because he shot the three very, very well uh, a number of seasons. He has a quick release, and he's not shy. Like, that's why teams blanket him. And before when you were talking about uh, Deli and Brogdon and mentioned, okay, they have the, these hitches in their shots and teams just don't respect them quite the same way. That's kind of what we're talking about. Like if you're looking for respect and you're looking for gravity, like that's a, I know that's a more popular term that's been thrown out lately. Like that's what Mirza does. Like he has gravity, like his player will be drawn to him. And when we're talking about Brogdon, despite shooting forty plus percent from three, not having that same that same kind of effect, it's because he doesn't have that gravity. He doesn't have that quick release. He doesn't have that uh, shooter's unconsciousness, like the the ability to not feel guilt about letting a three go. Like he doesn't have that, and Mirza does. So uh, I, I totally agree in saying that you the numbers say it's better, and my eyes can tell me that defenders actively go to him and like like you said it doesn't need to be Beasley versus Toledovich anymore like Jabari's out they just need quality minutes from as many guys as possible and if Toledovich can be one of those guys and pair well with a guy like Giannis well then that's what they should be trying to do yeah and it'll be interesting to see what you know with Middleton how his minutes evolve because I think the interesting thing is that you know a year ago obviously we're used to seeing Middleton play more as a shooting guard in order to start next to Jabari and Giannis um he's come back mostly playing as a small forward uh you're still seeing uh, Tony Snell start you're still seeing uh Jason Terry and to some extent Rashad Vaughn get minutes off the bench at the two mm-hmm. um and I think that's an interesting to watch because realistically you know if you were just looking at you know quality of play who who quote-unquote deserves minutes you know I would say you know again as much as the team has often played well with Judd on the floor um you know, you'd say you would love it if Chris got sort of comfortable enough defensively because I think that's part of the reason why they don't want him maybe defending twos. Maybe they think yeah. they're a little too quick for him. Um, but it would be nice if you could get Chris out on the floor um, with all these forwards that you like because, again, you don't – you know, I would rather find minutes for Toledovich and Beasley versus minutes for Terry necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, you know, you watch Jet, you know, 
as much as Jed isn't an impact defender, um, you know, he'll run around all day and chase guys off screens. And, you know, again, with Chris, you know, is that the kind of thing you want to expose him to at this point uh, in his comeback? Or, or do you want to kind of manage him a little bit differently? Um, you know, that's obviously something that, that I think we're going to have to watch. But, you know, in the meantime, I think Friday's game was a great example for Beasley. You know, again, I, I, I talked about him as sort of the like Arctic icebreaker, you know, when, when the mm-hmm. offense is, is bogging down or you're going against a very good defense. You know, he's able to make plays one on one. And, you know, we've talked about him probably being the most skilled one on one guy on the team. And um, that's a huge value add, I think, to the Bucks, uh, especially with Jabari out, um, especially with Middleton sort of not playing at full bore. So, um, you know, full credit to, to Beasley for what he's done in, in Jabari's absence. You know, I would say you look at what Beasley's doing, um, you look at Chris coming back, maybe not being certainly at the top of his game, especially these last two games. Um, but, you know, again, are they missing Jabari Parker that much? in the grand scheme of things probably not right now um you're not missing maybe what jabari parker is right now um it's really more about what jabari parker you hope will develop into um but obviously sort of the the longer the season goes on you're going to need to kind of continue to see that play from beasley and obviously that's been um you know the question with him you know can can he do it consistently it's it's great if you can give these eight out of ten nights but you know again if if he's giving you the the two out of nine nights where he's you know not really there defensively that's that's the kind of stuff that that's harder to manage um so we'll be interesting to see sort of how how that evolves moving forward and um obviously tomorrow uh, or today when this this airs uh going up against the Cavs in cleveland uh you know unfortunately the bulls got to play the Cavs without kevin love and without lebron (laughs) due to illness uh i haven't seen anything suggesting lebron will be out again kevin love is out with a knee injury um but uh it looks like i'm i'm guessing the bucks will have to go against lebron and Kyrie, which uh is not easy and especially when you're missing chris middleton so again they may need michael beasley and Toledovich to uh to come up big for them to if they're gonna have any chance in cleveland yeah i mean that's uh i <laughs> the the deck is stacked in many ways against the milwaukee bucks uh no middleton lebron coming back and then on top of the fact well the bucks kind of kind of pissed lebron and Kyrie off before um they did not enjoy the beatdown the bucks gave them in their first game so not that they'll play motivated for the entire game but they're gonna get some they're gonna get some of the good lebron and some of the good Kyrie because i don't think they've forgotten um what the bucks did to them in that first game this season so uh we'll keep an eye on that but We'll break it down again. That's what we do after games. Uh, we will get together after that game, break down, and then send it out to you guys. So uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. Obviously, that was Frank Men. I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow after the Bucks. No, I was going to say after the Bucks beat the Cavaliers, but I have no faith in that. So <laughs> <laughs> after the Bucks and the Cavaliers play in Cleveland, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17.